And here's the latest news from Pembrokeshire. A man from Milford Haven was jailed after draining nearly £25,000 from a widow's bank account and has been ordered to repay just £20 after serving three months behind bars. 30-year-old Andrew Clive Baldry of Hawthorne Path in the Mount Estate was sentenced to a year in prison when he appeared at Swansea Crown Court in January. 30-year-old Baldry initially claimed he had struck lucky on a scratch card after he fraudulently transferred just under £25,000 from his partner's bank account between July 30th, 2017 and June 12th, 2019. He pleaded guilty to committing fraud by dishonestly making a false representation. A court previously heard the victim had been left money from her late husband's life insurance after he passed away in December 2013. Years later, she became involved with Baldry, who told her he had won £1,000 on a scratch card when he bought himself a car. Suddenly, he began offering to pay for things, stating he had savings, when she had always paid for things previously. She believed they had a trusting relationship until she noticed her account had dropped to £20 and discovered that almost £25,000 had been transferred to an unknown account over two years. During the hearing in January, Judge Walters stated the money in the account was intended to guarantee the woman's future. However, the judge added they had never lived together and during their relationship, Baldry had been seeing another woman. Unemployed Baldry began transferring money from the victim's account almost immediately. Judge Walters said Baldry's offending had been tremendously mean and cruel. The case returned to Swansea Crown Court on April 22nd for a proceeds of crime hearing. A confiscation order was made for £20 after the court heard that Baldry now only had that amount in available assets. Driving to get coffee and to buy some tomato plants were just a couple of the reasons given to the police for being out on the roads on April 26th. Police officers patrolling Pembrokeshire have been met with more excuses as they continue to stop drivers. Officers stopped a driver at Begelli whose excuse for being on the roads was that he and his passenger were looking to get a coffee. Both were issued with a ticket for breach of COVID-19 regulations, whilst the RPU also said this was not the first time the driver had been reported for the offence. Stop checks were also made on the A477 at Kilgetty, with the RPU reporting that most drivers were travelling in accordance with government advice. However, two drivers reported for non-essential travel, one of whom was on a 60-mile round trip to buy some tomato plants. The RPU also posted that they had been conducting speed checks on the Penali bypass following concerns raised by the community. Officers reported no offences, but said they would continue to monitor the road and any other areas of concern. Pembrokeshire County Council is to recommence its grass-cutting regime from early next month. The operation was temporarily delayed in March following the government's stay-at-home guidelines introduced during the coronavirus outbreak. This allowed the service to be reviewed and to ensure future work could be carried out whilst adhering to current regulations. The authority's cabinet member for the environment, Chris Tomos, explained other options surrounding the grass-cutting regime have been considered, including suspending the service. However, through consultation with managers and supervisors within the county council and other local authorities in Wales, 
It is felt this is the best option to ensure the health and well-being of the residents of Pembrokeshire whilst adhering to government guidelines. The councillor added that the initial cut of grass would be slow and time-consuming because of the excessive growth in some of the areas. A Pembrokeshire-born Welsh teacher will join forces with Line of Duty star Vicky McClure to lead the nation in song this Thursday in a Facebook Live event. Anne Lykman will host the special singing for the brain performance for the Alzheimer's Society in a bid to help thousands banish the lockdown blues. Critically acclaimed actress Vicky, whose grandmother had dementia, will join Anne via a video link for the sing-along. The event, to be held on Thursday, April 30th at 3pm, is open to everyone and can be accessed via Alzheimer's Society's Facebook page. I'm Charlie James and you're up to date on Pure West Radio. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire. Pure West Radio. And welcome back to part two of the West Files Live from Lockdown Special Edition, starring me, Steve, here in the studio, and at the other end of the telephone, on her couch, stark naked with a glass of... Um, uh, let's say the stark naked, it's too bloody cold for that. All right, <laughs> Wearing a gimp suit. <laughs> <laughs> and a book. No, we're not going down that road. <laughs> Sammy, you can't tell everybody what I wear. Yeah, but I've got the I've got the webcam on. Oh, don't! No, your webcam, not not the studio webcam, obviously. No, don't, 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 don't. Hey, don't. I've. I... You were saying about that. What? Those webcam thing scams. Yeah, because yeah, it's interesting because there was a thing going around the other day on um, one of the tech news um, sites, warning about there are so many scams uh, whilst people are in lockdown and people are using Zoom and all these other services to. Uh, video conferencing and things but uh, there's been a resurgence of a new scam and then an hour after reading about this scam bingo i get an email straight in the spam folder and it says um it's got an old password that i used donkeys years ago um and it says we have been watching you on your webcam while you've been doing naughty things send us two thousand pounds as two thousand dollars in bitcoin or we'll send the video um, to everybody on your uh, email list. And it, you know, I mean, it could scare the bejesus out of oh, people. Oh, yeah. Except, Especially if A, I don't. That sort and of B, thing. my webcam's got, got screen, uh, covers on it. So it's like, not, you know, you can't see it anyway. And has done ever since, well, forever. Um, but it's a nasty little scheme. And these nasty little people trying to scam money out of out of people at this at this time when we should all really be pulling together. So if you're getting emails, uh, you know, people demanding money, you're threatening you, and saying that they've been watching you on your webcam, just ignore it. Just delete it. Put it straight in the bin. Don't even bother opening it. And if you have got any videos, send them to Ronnie. Shh. (laughs) Don't tell everybody. (laughs) They'll all want to know. Right, well, you know what, I, I think, before we go back to the Teller of Curious Tales, I'm going to have a little bit of music too, um, because, as you know, um, we're supposed to play some music from time to time, and I'm a big fan of you 2 And since lockdown started, there's been a very interesting psychological uh, paper that came out saying people are having some really weird, lucid dreams. Really? Yep. Uh, people have been reporting really vivid and lucid dreams. 
um, since about this. what? About all sort of flying and monsters and fighting things and all manner of disturbing and weird dreams. So why do they have them? No idea. So for those people, I'm going to dedicate this track by you two. Okay.
the magnificent U2 with Sleep Like a Baby Tonight, which I fervently wish for all of those people who have been reporting strange and unusual dreams of late. Um, and this appeared in um, a, a psychology magazine article. So, what about mm. you, Ronnie? Any strange dreams? No. No. No, I, no more than normal. Well, psychologi <laughs> psychologists have been sort of trying to figure out why all of a sudden, you know, I mean, it wasn't tens, it was thousands of people were reporting these very vivid, lucid, unusual uh, dreams. Uh, now, what, this is, what they've come up with so far, uh, you know, in the best tradition of psychologists, yeah, um, is that because of, you know, people's life, there's, there's anxiety and, and worry obviously, um, about, yeah. the, about the present situation. And the disrupted lifestyle that we're going through is just basically screwing with the brain. And the brain's trying to make sense of the situation. And those scientists... That kind of actually makes sense. Well, psychologists like uh, the Maimonides, very difficult to say, Dream Research Institute over in America, um, who've been studying dreams for decades now, uh, know that the dr uh, the dr dreaming is kind of a way of the brain uh, unraveling itself and trying to make sense of what its experiences are, um, and so you know we're, we live in very strange times, and it's not too strange we, that the brains are being affected. Well, no, because I mean I know there are you know there's a lot of people out there that have you know mental mental health problems and mental health you know things that possibly is being made worse by the situation i think it's undoubtedly the, the so you know it does it it kind of makes an awful lot of sense actually that you know the brain is trying to work it out we also uh, what's uh, what what we are what we're not seeing though is in a, a jump up or a significant jump up in people a number of people reporting paranormal experiences at home ah. uh, now that, that genuinely surprises me because a lot of the sort of uh, the, the stories you read in the newspapers about oh, I've got a ghost in my house, you know, these, these people are saying how disturbing this this ghost is and how terrifying the ghost is and how they can't live there and you know how you know will the oh, daily, yeah. will the daily red top please come round and send local Ghostbusters round, uh, and yet they all seem to be now living very harmoniously with the ghosts, and um, yeah, the oh. ghosts don't seem to be. It's it's really quite interesting how how we you know society is changing what our priorities are. I I never thought like today that I'd see that the NHS begging people to come to go to visit the doctor because people are, are now in a situation where they're scared to death of going to. to I I to can the doctors I, or the I hospital. can sort of, yeah I can relate to that in in some respects because I think it's for me personally is you know been a situation. And it's like, well, should I ring the doctor? You know, because yeah, good luck they're with so that busy with everybody else. <laughs> but it seems that they're not. Going on. No, they're telling us that they're not busy. No. And, and I actually did ring the doctor um, the other day after he'd rung me, but we won't go into that bit. Um, and he, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, it's straight through. And he was saying, oh, I'm glad you ring. You know, ring the doctors. So if you have got a problem, the doctors want to hear Absolutely. from you. Absolutely. They want if you to know yeah. that, you know, 
they are still there. They are still looking after you. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be your normal thing or it can be something that's just started. Get out there. Get in touch with your doctor. Yeah, don't sit, don't sit at home worrying about no. uh, lumps, bumps, aches and pains. Pains. Anything that is different or unusual, get in touch. Yep, because the NHS is job. They are, they are waiting to uh, take care of you. That's what they're good at. That's what they're fantastic exactly, at. Exactly, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm going to shout out to the receptionist as well because they do so well. There we are. In fact, all men, well, there's there's lots of people, aren't there? Uh, oh, there's the so bin many. men, you know, oh, the delivery yeah. drivers, the oh lorry drivers, yeah. anybody, in fact, except those idiots on bicycles in Lycra. <laughs> oh, I don't mind looking at that. I mean, I mean, no, yeah, okay, I haven't seen any for a while. <laughs> yeah, you want to come back by us? Yeah, they're all like I'm, practicing I'm for Iron Man. I, I, you know what? Enough. Uh, this isn't Ronnie's rant. Stop taking over the show. Um, no, 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 I just need, is, I just need to... Because you are, in fact, just, yeah, just a reminder, you are listening to the West Files. Yes. Um, but this is live from lockdown. Uh, Ronnie's locked down. <laughs> well, <and> truly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give her the handcuff keys back. Um, and I think, and, you know, because we did promise more episodes of The Teller of Curious oh, Cells, yes, please, and we've, please, I, we've lined up plenty. Um, so I think, I think we're overdue a Teller of Curious Tales. Yeah, you be, you be a good girl and I'll play you a teller of curious tales. Okay. Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. There is in the British Museum an ancient manuscript which carries the following heading. Ancient Prediction Entitled by popular tradition, Mother Shipton's Prophecy, published 1448. It reads as follows. Carriages without horses shall go, and accidents fill the world with woe. We all know that's true enough, don't we? We'll continue. Around the earth thoughts shall fly, in the twinkle of an eye. If that doesn't predict radio, what does it do? Through the hills man shall ride with never a horse at his side. And here we have trains and tunnels. Underwater men shall walk, shall ride, shall sleep, shall talk. And there we have the diver and the submarine. In the air men shall be seen in white and black and green. Iron in the water shall float as easily as a wooden boat. These are so plain they need no explaining, but now we come to what I think was her most remarkable prediction, the discovery of gold in California. She said, Gold shall be found and shown in a land that is not now known. Not bad, was it? 
for a woman living in an obscure country town in England almost 500 years ago. Was all this just a lucky guess? Or are some people gifted with the ability to look into the future? Until recently, science jeered and said guesswork. But now, Alexis Carroll, one of the world's most brilliant scientists, says he is convinced that every man has, at times, flashes when he can see into the future. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> And lots more from the Teller of Curious Tales still to come on this live from lockdown West Files special with your coast hosts, coasts, coast, host, coasts, coast. with your coast hosts, your coast ghost, host. ghost coast hosts, <laughs> Steve in the studio and Ronnie in the gimp mask. No, sorry, <laughs> Ronnie on the sofa. Where do you stop telling them what I'm wearing? You, t- you tell me it was a surgical gimp mask. Oh, yeah, it is, it is, it is. Hey, did you see that, before we do go to another Curious Tales, did you see that thing do on Facebook with, uh, you know, Americans in Walmart wearing masks? No. Oh, some of them were fantastic. There was a woman walking around, she's got, you know, a panscara stuck on her face with an elastic band. Oh, no. <laughs> another one with the horses. I want one of those Tyrannosaurus suits, though. Oh, yeah, I can imagine you in one of them, actually. That's yeah, the worst thing about Go around Tesco's in Haverford West wearing an inflatable T-Rex costume. Well, a lot of the posties in a lot of areas are actually dressing up and, and doing... Sadly, ours things. isn't. No, well, um, I'm, I'm not even going into why Al's glad our lady postie isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going there. But it's nice to see. And it does bring a smile to her face. I, you know... <sighs> I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but yeah, I'm kind of enjoying some of the aspects of the lockdown. Uh, it's like it's it's a moment in history, isn't it? This is something that we will never experience again. You know, it hasn't happened since the 1920 flu pandemic, and you know, this will this will have profound effects. We can never again. I don't think we'll ever be able to accept the politicians downplaying the role of the NHS. No. And, and all of the support workers, the shop staff, and all of the people who have always been classed by politicians as low-skilled and... Yeah, yeah. not really. They, are, know, they have been the people that have held this country together. Agreed totally, 100% so, on that. Anyway, before we turn the show into a political Ronnie's rant, I think <laughs> we're going to go straight back to the mysterious teller of Curious Tales, who is just waving at me and reminding me that we have yet another episode. Okay. So, uh... I'm ready. Here we go. Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. 
Listen to the teller of curious tales. Have you ever eaten a Mike apple? It's a pale yellow apple with an excellent flavour. But somewhere in the pulp of every Mike apple, you will find a small red speck. Exactly like the tinge of fresh blood. There's a strange story behind this fruit, and this is it. It's named after a farmer, Micah Rood, who lived outside of Norwich, Connecticut, early in the 18th century. Micah was known as a hard-working, industrious young man. Suddenly, his habits changed. He grew idle, quarrelsome, intemperate. No longer was his farm the showplace of the community. He neglected his cattle. He shunned his neighbours. Some thought he was bewitched. Others spoke of insanity. All this took place during the winter of 1727. The following spring, when the orchard burst into bloom, a strange phenomena took place. All of Rood's apple trees were covered with pink and white blossoms as usual. All except one. And its flowers were blood red. And the marvel didn't end there. The tree that bore the red blossoms was the only one in the orchard that wasn't covered with ruddy, red-cheeked apples. Its fruit was waxen yellow. When the apples from this tree fell to the ground, each apple, without exception, was found to have within a well-defined bright red globule, called by those who saw it a drop of blood. This strange occurrence soon had the whole community buzzing with gossip, and suspicion was brought to a head when someone remembered that a peddler had passed through Norwich about a year before. He had spent the night at Micaroods, and no one had seen him since. Someone suggested that perhaps the young farmer had murdered him for his money, and then buried the body under the apple tree. The talk grew, until one afternoon a mob gathered, and armed with picks and shovels, swarmed out to Rude's farm. Micah met them at the entrance to his property, and refused them admittance, but he was soon subdued, and the digging commenced. The men dug for almost an hour, and then the first grisly discovery was made. A foot, still encased in a rotting shoe, came into view. Then an arm, the torso, and the head. Soon a whole human skeleton lay stretched on the ground, grinning up at the horrified farmers. Micarud's crime had been discovered. They set out for Micah's house to drag him back to the village and to justice. They found a raving, tearing maniac. Micah was hopelessly insane. His mind had given way under the pressure of his conscience. He died within a few months. The fruit from this odd tree was known for many years as the Micah apple, until time shortened it to what it is today, the Mike Apple.
The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> He does have a dirty laugh, that uh, teller of curious tales, doesn't he? Maniacal. Yeah. There we are. I so like it. We anyway. still got. We've still got. Yeah, there's more. There's more teller of curious tales, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Yeah. This is the live from lockdown, the West Files special. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it. Because Ronnie's been locked up. Again. <laughs> so I'm down here in the studio uh, with the ghosts. Um, and I'm Ronnie's, at home with a glass of wine. And Ronnie's imaginary friends, and Ronnie's on the sofa in the gimp suit. The gimp <laughs> Will you stop telling them that? <laughs> They'll all want a photo, and I can't afford it. We should have a competition. <laughs> <laughs> what, whether you look better in a gimp suit than I do? <laughs> yeah. Moving on. <clears throat> Sounds like something. Yeah, we go, we go, we go somewhere else on this one. Yes, I think we ought to. Um, yes. Actually, do you know what we haven't had for a while? We haven't had any music, have we? Uh, no, we've had Teller of Curious Tales. And earlier this, because uh, like a couple of weeks ago, we had a really good pass from the space station, and we've had these Starlink. Uh, oh satellites. yeah. They've been um, amazing. Yeah, so I think we should have something um, moon related. Oh, sounds like a plan. But. But remembering oh. this is the West Files, so yeah. we're going to have something Ghost Moon related. Oh. So I'm going to play the Ghostbusters. Walk, ah. walk the Moon.
Don't call them until after we get out of lockup. That was Walk the Moon with Ghostbusters. This is the Westfiles Live from Lockdown special, and we're we're going to go back to our storytelling mode uh, shortly. Okay. Um, with yet more, um, we got a long uh, yeah. We got some back-to-back episodes of the Teller of Curious Tales. Hey, it's brilliant. because so we've put them, we've 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 pushed them together so that we're not going to interrupt, um, so that people can truly. Um, Enjoy chill them. and listen yeah. to the teller of curious tales maniacal laugh. Yeah, I love that word. I'm going to keep that word. That's not going to be my word. All right. You know, actually, because um, we were off air last month. Um, yeah. Uh, was our second anniversary. Yeah. Of the Westfires, we were two years old, and we celebrated the first one by doing a ghost hunt. And we we had always planned um, to commemorate the second one by doing an all night broadcast um, through the witching hour. Really? As soon yeah. as lockdown's yeah. over, we will. We're going to explore the ghosts of the Pure West Studios all oh. night long. We're gonna, All night. T- we're gonna have our own investigators. We're gonna have psychics, and we're gonna have a sideshow and freaks and all manner of weird stuff. Does that mean I've got to stay awake all night? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you are. No. Anyway. Uh, okay, that sounds so, like a plan. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> we can. We're gonna. Oh. Um, and of course, we'll be back next month um, with with more stuff um, because we found some interesting stuff about. Pembrokeshire, Haverford West's past, but you know, I—it's been difficult, you know, with you being in lockdown. Um, it's been very weird. I must it say. has been strange, and I think before we go back to the teller of curious cells, I'm going to dedicate you a little tune because I know this one's one of your very favourites. Yes, um, it's what I think it is. I will slap you next time I see you. There we go. Then this is for you, Ronnie, with love. Thank you. 
shark do 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 grandpa shark let's go Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. This is the story of Michael de Tenny of Budapest, Hungary. Michael was hard up. His wife and children were in want. All he had left from his more prosperous days was a $25,000 life insurance policy. He wrote the company offering to give up the policy if they would pay him $12,000. They wrote back, refusing the offer. He called them up and warned them that they were due for an unpleasant surprise. The insurance official who spoke to him laughed, but if he had known what plans Michael had formed to take care of his family, he probably wouldn't have been so funny to him. That evening, Michael ate dinner with his prosperous friend at a little sidewalk cafe. Suddenly, and in the middle of the meal, Michael arose from the table and in cold blood fired six shots into his friend's body, killing him instantly. When the police came, they found Michael laughing. At his trial, he refused a lawyer provided by the state. He laughed at the attorney the insurance company sent over to defend him. He did his utmost to help the prosecution prove that it was a premeditated murder. He laughed when the jury brought in a verdict of guilty and the judge passed the sentence of death. He laughed when he mounted the scaffold and the executioner adjusted the black cap. He was still chuckling when the trap was sprung and his neck snapped. Michael de Tenny had had his revenge. Had Michael committed suicide, the insurance company would have paid nothing. But there was a clause in his policy which paid a double indemnity in the case of a natural death. Even the insurance company had to admit that hanging is not a natural way to die, and Michael's family received $50,000 from them. It was an unpleasant surprise. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of Curious Tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. 
Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. In 1672, Ben Johnson was New York's official executioner, by appointment of the King. Ben had one assistant, who was permitted by law to help with the torturing, prepare the gallows, and perform other minor duties. But when the law took a life, no one in the Royal Colony of New York could do that but Ben Johnson. Since Ben was paid by the job, and New York was a law-abiding colony, his income was, at times, very meagre. So Ben took up burglary as a sideline. He was quite successful at it, too, for a while. But one night, as he was dropping from the second-story window of a house he had just robbed, Ben fell right into the night watchman's arms. The watchman promptly took Ben to jail. Now, burglary at that time was a capital offence, and while not as serious as a crime as murder, the punishment was the same, namely hanging. Ben was brought to trial, and the court had very little difficulty finding him guilty, so the judge sentenced him to hang himself. But Ben was no fool. He refused to do it, knowing there was no one else in the whole colony legally qualified to do the job. This refusal put the judge in a spot. In order to have Ben hanged, he would have to send to London for a new hangman, and that would take months. Until the new man arrived, Ben would be sitting in jail, eating his head off at the taxpayer's expense an extravagance the citizens of colonial New York strongly opposed. Then the judge got an idea. The nucleus of this idea was Ben's assistant. Although it meant a comparatively light sentence, it would at least rid New York of a burglar, and that was the main object. Ben was sentenced to 39 lashes at the whipping post. His right ear was cut off, and he was exiled from the colony. Since this was Ben Johnson's only bid for historical mention, no one knows what came of him afterward. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. (laughs) 
Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. In 1906, there was a hotel on the Rue Lamont in Paris called Hotel d'Amsterdam. It was most frequented by dealers in precious gems. Its landlord was Mynheer van der Velds, a Dutchman and a former diamond cutter. Business was good and the hotel was prosperous. One evening, a South African named Culvert registered there. It was known that he carried a number of uncut diamonds in his pockets, but so did most of the guests, and no one paid any attention to it. On his first Friday at the hotel, he retired early in the evening, and as usual on Saturday morning, a waiter brought coffee and rolls to room 14. He knocked on the door. There was no answer. Another knock, harder this time. Still no answer. Vaguely alarmed and sensing disaster, he went to the landlord and told him he was unable to awaken the young man in room 14. The landlord ran upstairs and looked through the keyhole, but could see nothing, as the key was in the lock. With a piece of wire, he worked it out and, inserting a master key, opened the door and entered room 14. The South African was dead. He was hanging from a huge ancient iron hook which was cemented into the wall. Around his neck was the cord used to loop back the heavy window curtain. The dead man's face was blue and swollen, his eyes wide open. His face was a mask of nameless horror, and his legs were doubled up to keep them from touching the floor. Since all the windows and doors were fastened from the inside, it could have been nothing but suicide, and was so listed on the death certificate. Two weeks passed. The South African suicide was practically forgotten when room 14 had its second tragedy. This time, a Frenchman. He was found hanging from the same hook, a piece of the same cord around his neck, the same doubled-up legs, the same expression of nameless horror. Again, the verdict was suicide, the doctor remarking on the strange power of suggestion. That day, all the guests left the hotel. The proprietor was in despair, offering a hundred francs to anyone who would spend a night in the room. A sergeant of police, an ex-soldier who had served in Africa, accepted the offer. On Thursday night, he slept in room 14. He slept soundly, and next morning reported that he had no way been disturbed. But someone remembered that both deaths occurred on Friday night, 
so the sergeant was asked to stay in room 14 that night. He agreed and accepted another hundred francs and laughed when anyone tried to dissuade him. Friday night passed and Saturday morning came. The waiter's knocks on the door of room 14 once more remained unanswered. After the door was broken in, there was the sergeant, hanging from the ancient hook, the curtain rope around his neck, an expression of horror on his face. No violence, no foul play. The newspapers took it up, and the headlines screamed of a murderous ghost, a haunted room in the heart of Paris. They offered a considerable reward to anyone who would stay in the room. Ricardo Garibaldi moved in. For four days he never left room 14. Twice during the day and once each evening Garibaldi was called on the telephone and each time he answered that he had seen and heard nothing. This continued until Friday. Twice that evening he answered the phone but on Saturday morning Garibaldi was dead and he died exactly as all the others had but this time the police refused the doctor's verdict of suicide. They insisted it was murder and set out to prove it for they had a tiny piece of paper on which was written something's happening the wall is and then one word assassins Two detectives, unknown to that part of Paris, came to the Hotel d'Amsterdam. One registered to room 14, the other was given accommodations on the floor below. It was Friday night. One detective was hiding under the bed, the other sat up reading. Everything was quiet. Suddenly the silence was broken by a hissing sound, a noise like that of escaping gas. But both men were prepared for this, as they expected a stupefying gas of some kind. They stuffed their noses with tiny cones of cotton which had been treated to neutralise gas. The man in the chair feigned drowsiness and then deep sleep. The lights went out. Slowly, a part of the wall began moving forward and a figure stood in the recess. A squat, deformed Chinaman with long, thin arms and fingers that moved like the legs of an imprisoned insect. He advanced towards the detective who was feigning sleep. Silently, the detective under the bed rolled out and stood up. For the first time, the silence was broken when he snapped out the following. Stand still! Up with your hands! After that, pandemonium broke loose. Fighting, struggling, tables and chairs thrown and overturned. Two shots rang out. Whistles shrilled in the street. The sound of running men and trampling feet. Then quiet again. When the detectives turned on their flashlights, they found two Chinamen and a white man on the floor. Both Chinese were unconscious. The white man was stunned. 
By the time the two detectives had handcuffed the latter, six other men were driven through the secret wall opening by the police. After these men were safely under lock and key, a careful search of the premises was made. An underground passage leading to room 14 from the house next door was found, and through this passage the murderer had come to rob and kill. Stealing silently into the room, he strangled his victims, whose legs were then doubled up, and after rigor mortis had set in, a rope was put around his neck, and he was hung on the ancient hook. So was solved the mystery of the suicide room. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs>
Pembrokeshire.